where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. I can't move while I talk with this microphone, so you guys get to watch me move around instead of listening to me uh, <laughs> while I'm moving like we might normally do. I had thought of a bit of a practical joke this morning where I would invite you all uh, here or at home to wave the palms whenever we heard them waving the palms in our gospel reading that we are about to hear. And I'm going to clue you into the punchline ahead of time, which you might know since you are probably aware you do not have palms. There are no palms in today's reading. There are no palms in Luke's Palm Sunday story. But there are other elements that I think that you will find familiar. And so as we are turning to this scripture, which will be read by a few of us on video this morning, I invite you to listen for the things that are familiar and the places where you are drawn back to other stories and to other scriptures that you might already know. Let's hear the story. When Jesus had come near Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had been, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. Jesus answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. So you might have noticed, uh, first of all, the way that the scripture is laid out like a play. I didn't change any of that before we read it. What we read is word for word how it is in the NRSV. It is written as though it is meant to be acted out and to perform maybe again and again until we really understand the meaning. And I alluded to the differences and you noticed that there were no palms, but despite those few differences, each of the four gospels tells this story pretty similarly. 
And the thing that they do all share is that Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a small animal that is either a colt or a donkey or both, and that as he passed, people shouted, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Those are the important details for us this morning because they let us know exactly who the early Jesus followers believed he was. The waving of the branches and the cloaks in the road that you heard this morning are interesting, but it is these other things, the donkey and the shouts of Hosanna, those are the things that mattered. They weren't coincidence. They're not accidentally there. They didn't accidentally happen. They are quotes from the scriptures that the early followers of Jesus would have known. And they tell us that they believed that he was fulfilling a prophecy, one that had been laid out centuries earlier. And so while Pilate's army was marching in as well, maybe across the city coming in from another gate, at the very same moment, Jesus is marching in. And he sets up this choice for the people in Jerusalem and for us now between the way of peace and the world as we know it. This is the moment that is meant to be the apex of God's big story. It's meant to be the moment that feels like spring after a long winter. And so for those of us who know the story that we begin today and will carry out for the rest of the week, there is a way in which we can look at the story of Palm Sunday and this parade as it happened and the shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. There's a way that we can look at this story as a tragic story a story of hopes that are dashed and prophecies that are misunderstood. What we know, those of us who are outside of this story this morning, is that Jesus was not the kind of king that most people wished for. We know from our place outside this story that the week doesn't end well. Those cheering crowds will become jeering crowds in just a few days. We know that the movement that seemed to have started that morning flops. Somewhere along the way it fails and people drift away. And maybe that's a story this morning that we know from our own lives. Maybe because of that, we're inclined to hear the story this morning and be cynical about those people who showed up for this parade. Where did they go? What happened to all of that passion and that hope for change and the shouts? This sermon, I want to say, was 
pretty well written by Monday of last week. And as I say that, I also feel like in the interest of honesty, it wasn't written on paper, it was written the way that I write my sermons, which is on notes that I dash off and then leave to find later around my office or at my house. And I'm mentioning that right now because I want to ground what I am about to say in this story. This is the story that is always timely and timeless. When we all heard the news on Monday afternoon, I will tell you that I felt more jaded than surprised. This is a story that I will say frankly and horribly, I know too well. It is a story that is familiar for me. And it is familiar for far too many of us. And so because of that, I knew how it would go. And I knew my part. There are the vigils, and there are the tears, and then there are the predictable arguments that play out about how and when and whether we can even stop things like this. And even in that, this kind of meandering route of my grief was predictable. The Palm Sunday story rings true for us in this way, whether because of the events of this week or the other things that we may have experienced in our lives. We understand how people will drift away. We understand how the vows to make the world better will be sidelined by whatever tragic parade comes to town next. And we understand that story, and I understand that story, because I have done it myself. And so, it was a gift to return to one of the notes that I had dashed off and left somewhere, where I had written, hope persists, keep showing up. It reminded me that the people along Jesus's parade route knew the hard parts of the story too. They had etched all of these words, the words that are on our souls each and every day, they had etched those in stone and on papyrus long before we were even born. We have them in words like, how long, how long, O Lord. And so it is painfully obvious to anybody who is paying attention that the world is not perfect. It is painfully obvious that this parade does not go where we hope it would go. But the point of that observation is not to say, why bother? 
we can't change anything anyway. The point of the story when we hear it each and every year is, and yet they showed up. And maybe the point of it each and every year is for us to say, and yet we show up. And so if you were listening, you probably noticed, too, that they don't just show up, they shout out. That's why our word for today was proclaim. They aren't just there observing, they are there to celebrate this vision of peace, even as they know, they know as well as we know, that the powers of death and destruction are waiting They are hovering in a very real way in our Palm Sunday story, waiting to stamp out any sign of change, anything that cuts into profits or power. They show up and they proclaim again and again, there is another way. Christian tradition has always wrestled with what it means to be people who proclaim peace. There is this tension that we might feel between this beautiful, lovely Christmas scene where it seems like peace could really happen and it's hovering right there with the angels and the shepherds and the baby who will lead us. And the tension there is between the hard work that knows what waits. We are standing always in the gap between the dream and the reality. We are standing in the gap between what is becoming and what is. The author of Luke does not shy away from that. He forces us to look at it. And maybe you noticed it too, that the crowds shout out the same, peace on earth, glory in the highest, that the angels sang to the shepherds in the field. And then maybe you noticed that this time around, they are told to hush. Go home, it won't matter. Look out for yourself, forget your neighbor. Luke tells us that it is the Pharisees who rush to hush the disciples. The Pharisees who could represent for us sort of the people in between, like the middle management bad guys. They're the ones who benefit from the world as it is. The ones who aren't exactly calling the shots, but also have no desire to see the boat rocked. But I wonder too, as the Pharisees say this, if the warnings didn't also come from others, from sad and wise ones, people who had walked this road before, people who had seen other parades and hopes and tears. 
people who maybe said, go home, it won't matter. I believed once too. And in response, Jesus says the thing that I think we all need to write on our hearts when we are finding ourselves faltering in hope. Jesus says in that moment, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And we could say that it is hyperbole, but it is more than that. It is a significant statement. And maybe it's not even as far off as we think if we turn to some other ways of knowing and draw on some other ideas. I was also this week, coincidentally, just reading that more and more winemakers are playing music to their grapes because the grapes grow better with the sound of beauty. And some agriculturalists think that it's because this noise mimics the sound of water. And there were some other explanations that were honestly not less miraculous to me. Because to say that plants recognize the music or the sound of water is to say that they recognize their relationship to the source of life that they hear it at some frequency and some level, and that they are growing towards it. Bruce Epperly says it a different way. He says, just look at an electron microscope. Look at a piece of wood or the cells in your body, and you see how alive the universe is. Mystics, have known this, and Jesus knew this. And so to claim that the rocks themselves hum with this vision of peace, to claim that they would cry out as well out of need for relationship, is to be drawn back into a different vision of creation, in which everything not just every human thing or every living thing, but everything knows its creator. It is to say today and each day that we are so much a part of each other, the humans and the animals and the trees, that what is good for the least of us is good for all of us. Which also means, as we think about what and how we proclaim, that to choose silence in the face of any destruction is against God's order. Not even the rocks will stand by if given the chance to speak. And so today, as we stand along that parade route 
again. Knowing the story that came before it and the story that will come next. Maybe we dare to cheer. To show up another day. Proclaiming Jesus as king. And believing that this other way is possible. And I would say that if we choose to do that, we don't do it in spite of how the story goes. We do it because of how the story goes. Because we know that in the end, we too make the choices that matter. And that we too see the new possibility that waits, and the story that will come next.